another installment of The Legal Geeks. Today we're going to be discussing a classic character from the turn of the 20th to the 21st centuries. This character is known by many, inspires awe, from the fantastic writing to the great acting and in fantastic storytelling. That character is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Now, now I've, I, I'm morally opposed to sparkling vampires, as, as many of you know, but Buffy's vampires didn't sparkle. Uh, they were very well written, as were those who fought them. And you know, Jessica has a profound love of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And, and Jessica, why don't you give us an overview of the character? Well, the idea, of course, um, that was the character, the, the story, the movie, which actually isn't that horrible, the TV show, the comic books, everything was all inspired um, by the great mind of Joss Whedon, my personal buddy in <laughs> um, and he had come with the idea. He said, you know what? He was sick and tired of always going to movies where you see this cute little blonde thing running away from some monster and eventually being killed, eaten, slaughtered, what have you. He said, wouldn't it be awesome if one of these times that cute little blonde girl turned around and it turned out she was the scariest thing in the dark alley? Uh, and hence, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was born. He did. He took, you know, the cute little blonde cheerleader, ditzy blonde cheerleader with the did see as silliest name you can come up with, Buffy, and he turned her into the roughest, toughest, strongest leader, fighter that you could have, the Vampire Slayer. And it was phenomenal. I remember when the movie came out, I worked at the movie theater and, and had to sell tickets for it. So again, very, very fond memories of that in Mountain View, California. But why don't you tell us a little bit more about the creative history behind Buffy? Well, so the idea with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, and this is the difference between TV and movies, of course, is Joss tried to do this in the movie, but as a writer of a movie, you don't have a lot of control. When you're the writer in TV, you're, you have all the control, basically. So when the yeah. movie didn't turn out, when they took, basically, the control of the movie away from him, because he was just a screenwriter, um, he then decided, okay, I'm going to go make a TV show and make this what I really want it to be. And the idea was that... He's like, look, high school is hell. He said, what would happen if you actually made it physically hell instead of just having, you know, the guys who are metaphor, uh, meta, metaphorical jerks, excuse me, let's turn them into actual animals and demons and vampires, you know. And so yeah. it's just this inspired idea that you have this entire city, a fictional city, of course, where um, hell comes to life. I think you actually have a connection to this city, right? Yeah, I didn't grow up in, in a, a torturous land of, of Sunnydale. I grew up in the very wonderful town of Sunnydale. And I went to Homestead High School, and at Homestead and in Sunnyvale, we did not have anything demonic taking place. Uh, we, uh, nor at our arch rivals of Fremont High School was there anything weird taking place as well. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, but we did have a variety of claims of uh, fame, such as Rooster Tea Feathers, which used to be Andy Capps in 1972, and that's where Pong was introduced. Ah. And so, and so when my family owned Rooster Tea Feathers, we would actually have geeks on a pilgrimage coming to go see where Pong was first played. And so, so nothing demonic, but we did have Pong, and, uh... (laughs) And we also, at, at Homestead, that's also where, you know, guys by the name of Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak went to high school and graduated and had a lot of fun in the computer uh, class that they that we had at Homestead at the time, and they did okay for themselves. Okay. So, uh, 
So, uh, but yeah, it, it was nice seeing Sunnydale have the same zip code as my childhood home. So I, I appreciate the, them tipping the hat. But uh, let's talk a little bit more about, um, let's get legal. Let's talk about, you know, could, could the Sunnydale High be liable uh, to any of the parents for being on top, built on top of a hill mound? Well, there is obviously the idea um, in the law that schools do owe a duty to protect their students. Of course, there's also a California yeah. uh, case that says schools are not inherently dangerous places per se. Now, of course, that court had obviously never dealt with Sunnydale High, and I think would have to say, actually, it is a dangerous place per se. But the idea is, is that you can sue a school if there's a dangerous condition at the school and you get harmed as a result of that dangerous condition. If the school either created the dangerous condition, which in this case you might be able to argue it didn't, although the mayor did, um, or, you, or if the school knew of the dangerous condition and didn't do anything to protect you from it. Obviously, in this case, after the first demon outbreak or after the first apocalypse, because they had many of those, that you know what, the school now has notice of the dangerous condition, and we are now going to hold you liable for every child who's turned into a vampire or every child who's slaughtered by a werewolf. Uh, as for the parents themselves, there are arguments that parents, if they assume the risk of sending their children to this school, which of course is a question why these parents continue to send their children to that school, they may not be able to um, uh, go after the school for damages they themselves suffered. For example, their child um, being turned into a vampire. Although I actually think Harmony was more tolerable as a vampire than as a high school cheerleader. She's one of the characters on the show. So maybe in that case, there wouldn't have been any damages at all. But uh, but that's where, that's kind of where the, the liability would be. You know, it gives new meaning to no child left behind. And... <laughs> Definitely makes charter schools more attractive if Maybe there are. Yeah, it's something where you could have you know a religious icon and holy water on hand, <laughs> uh, you know, just just for you know being able to yell, you know, the power of Christ compels you for you know that that added protection uh, to make sure nothing bad happens, that no one's getting bitten and scratched or being experimented on by the swim coach. Oh. Now, uh, what was your uh, Favorite character in, in, in Buffy? They're all great, obviously, and Xander's adorable. Oz, Seth Green was so cool as Oz. Um, but Willow does have to be my absolute favorite. I mean, just, you know, this sweet little nerd who turns into this awesome, powerful witch, lesbian witch, is fantastic. So I love Willow. Although I'd say my most entertaining character was probably Anya because she was the demon who was then actually, um, she lost her amulet and was turned into a normal human. And that's always an entertaining kind of idea to have, this idea of somebody who's kind of in the outsider trying to figure out how normal humans work and interact and everything. Um, you see that in a lot of different stories handled in different ways. But so Anya was always very entertaining because of that because she just couldn't quite fit in to the regular world and so often said very entertaining things and did entertaining things. And was a favorite rabbit. <laughs> yeah. So was President Jimmy Carter. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Commander-in-Chief attacked by one. So definitely a fun, fun fact. But, uh, well, as, as we look ahead, I, I have to say Buffy was exceptionally well-written. And it makes me wonder with all the impaling that took place if Josh Whedon um, hasn't carry that on as his, as his MO, his modus operandi, in killing off popular characters. Because we see that both in Serenity, where Walsh mm -hmm. gets impaled by, by the reefers after Serenity crashes, 
And then again in the Avengers, where Agent Coulson gets impaled by Loki through the back. And uh, it's, it's, I don't know if that's just a continued homage or if it's just, you know, hey, it worked in Buffy, I'm doing it here. I don't know if it's conscious or not, but it's definitely, a, I, it could be the beginning of his M.O. If, 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 if we have to watch a movie by him and wonder who's going to get impaled at some point. That would be fun. It is a very dramatic kind of death, so I think it's very satisfying in that way. It's violent. I mean, it, it's it a good, is. I don't know if he's been questioned on that yet, of like, why are people getting impaled? Uh, but, you know, he, his witty writing is uh, admirable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the banter from, be it in Buffy or Avengers, you can tell a Whedon line when That's it comes right. about. Uh, or, or, you know, good old-fashioned uh, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. That's where, again, funny. where again, Felicia Day, you know, gets impaled. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so again, we start. There's a definite theme there with with blunt objects, sharp objects, killing people. So, so. But anyway, uh, you might be a PMK on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and uh, uh, so with that, any closing thoughts on Buffy? Just that there are many reasons to love Buffy, and I love them for all of them. But one of my favorite things about Buffy, and this is the geek in me, is where they did have that great institutional memory and that continuity, you know, and that attention to detail that geeks love. Um, one of my favorite lines that ties into this topic of Helmos is an episode, I think, in season three of Buffy, where it's called Wish First, and Cordelia wishes that Buffy had never come to Sunnydale. And so what then proceeds to happen uh, is we see what would have happened if Buffy hadn't come to Sunnydale. And basically the Hellmouth and the vampires take over. It's a horrible, dark, bleak place. Giles is still there, and he's trying to get Buffy to come uh, to Sunnydale to help out. And he's told over the phone that apparently Buffy's too busy uh, dealing with a Hellmouth in Cleveland. And he hangs up the phone and says, yeah, right, like there's really a Hellmouth in Cleveland. We then fast forward many moons to the end of the show, sad day when Buffy finally ended. The entire city of Sunnydale is basically a crater at this point because they had to destroy the first big bad, and they're all staring down into the crater, and uh, they say, well, you know, what are we going to do now? And Giles says, you know, I think there's a Hellmouth in Cleveland. And it's after a little moment that only the fans of the show for the entire, yep. you know, however many years, eight years I think it was, seven years, um, would have, uh, it's, that's her moment that only we would enjoy, and that's the sort of thing that just makes me get chills, and I just love the show for that sort of reason. Exactly, or if they work in a musical number, so definitely. The musicals were also awesome. Very, very good. All right. Well, once again, uh, w- this time with feeling, uh, we will uh, we will se- secure from today's uh, post. And I thank everyone for joining us, and, and Jessica, your expert knowledge uh, on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Everyone have a wonderful day.